Speed Cafe newscast. Your host, Mark Fogarty. Coming up, pie with sauce. Forgotten man's tasty hit back, waiting. Supercar's calendar and parity latest. New Motorsport Australia boss, his vision of our racing future. It's all straight ahead on Speed Cafe newscast. Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and here's what's happening. Supercar's Enigma Scott Pye has landed on his feet, gaining a two-year deal as a Triple Eight co-driver. Pye is a puzzler because a decade ago, he was Roland Dane's protege. He was a member of the standout class of 2012 Super 2 field, finishing second to Scott McLaughlin, and head of star alumni Chas Mostert and Nick Burkett. Destined stardom, Pye fell out with Dane, who was managing him, and got bogged down at midfield teams. At Holden Racing Team and uh, Walkinshaw and Team 18, he matched his illustrious teammates, yet remained underrated. In an ironic twist, he has been recalled by Triple Eight as a co-driver for either Brock Feeney or Will Brown. Although regarded as hard work behind the scenes, Pi has been redeemed by Triple Eight. He agrees that a co-drive with Red Bull Ampole Racing is much better than a midfield full-time seat. Yeah, and I'm hundred percent. I think um, that was somewhat part of my train of thought of, of what was out there and, and where I wanted to go. And yeah, I mean, it, it's a great opportunity and, and I mean, they just won back there. So I think uh, I'd love to turn up to at least two events, depending on the calendar for Sandown and Bathurst, but I'd love to turn up to two events knowing that I've got an opportunity to, to get success and, and contribute to a team that has the potential of winning. And whichever of the two drivers you're partnered with, you really can't go wrong, can you? No, for sure. I think you know, the best thing about Triple Eight, though, is that the entire team has shown that they're uh, they've got a really strong, uh, I guess, ecosystem. You know, it's kind of like there's there's been changes there over the past, but the strength of the team is what always comes through at that place, and um, so it's not always just on one individual. And I know our, our drivers, we get to hold the trophy at the end of the day, but I think the really impressive thing is the strength of that team. So puts the drivers in an amazing position where we can go out and just do our job. So yeah, both drivers have an amazing opportunity there to succeed. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to be a part of that as well and hopefully get some success at Bathurst. It's something that means so much to me and, and um, I'm, as it does to every driver, but, you know, finishing runner up twice, I, I really want to want to get that on, on my list as a, a win. Pi acknowledges that he's, prodigal stun return to triple eight is a rare opportunity for me to get the opportunity to go back to triple eight and um and uh hopefully repay the, the faith they put in me early in my career and, and um you know help them succeed next year at the endurance events is something i'm really keen to do and my time there was was very special i still look back at that and i use that team as an example everywhere i go and the way i try and approach my racing has always been based on things i learned learned with my time there um one cool thing is as well like this whole thing i was you know, a lot of conversation with jamie um you know i never mentioned anything to him but i'm 
really grateful for him early in my career as well. He came to a um, he came to a fundraiser for me that Roland had organised in Adelaide, where a, a bunch of amazing people gave me some money and supported me to go to Europe. And Jamie was actually a spokesperson on that day to help me out with raising funds. And that was um, not really a team commitment. It was something that Jamie just wanted to help a young kid that's having a crack. So um, the funds raised that day helped me go on and, and uh, race in Europe. And then, you know, since my time there, I've also had a, a pretty, uh, a career that I'm extremely grateful for in supercars as well. So yeah, just stoked to come back and things don't work out for a number of reasons. And, you know, I went down um, after LDM, uh, I needed to find opportunities in main series. And to be honest, being you know, supported by Roland as, as my manager was, there was no opportunity at triple eight, uh, Jamie and Craig who had long time, a uh, long time left in their career. And, for me, yeah, having having Roland as my manager and going to other teams, it was probably something that wasn't really going to work that well. And that was that was really it. I can't speak higher of Roland though. And um, yeah, I, I honestly can't be more grateful for what Triple Eight did for me early in my career. But of course, you go to different teams and you focus and you put your hundred percent effort into those. And and yeah, I mean, having Triple Eight on a on a you know a card I'm trying to hand out wouldn't have worked too well. So um, I went out and, and I've been you know managing myself ever since that day and. I think it's worked out well, but nonetheless, mate, I'm just yeah stoked to be going back to Triple Eight and hopefully get them a result to, as a, a very small but um, a meaningful thank you from me to them. We understand that his deal with Triple Eight allows him to pursue a return to full-time racing in 2025. But Pi is out of it. He's committed to his second chance with Triple Eight. Not right now, no. I, I'm um, I I hate to ever feel like you know, you're taking things for granted, but at the moment I'm just, I'm not loving it's, it's, I hate saying it because I, I grew up and, and was dreaming of racing in supercars and it's, it's been a really tough, tough uh, few years, I guess, at least. And, uh, you know, my dad passed away before I got to supercars. So one thing, you know, is, is he wasn't kind of there through the highs and lows, but I look back and I try and remind myself of how badly we wanted to do this and that desire to go racing. I, I, I'm, you know, always trying to to push myself. But at the moment, you know, being in teams that aren't really arriving, you know, Bathurst was was tough. You know, like that's a, a good example of where you go in as best as you can, things out of your control, cost your results. And um, it's not to discriminate against anyone, but I want to get back to loving the sport and loving going racing and, and I need to put myself in a good environment. So going back full time is something that I would consider if, if with the right opportunity. But I look at this now as I get to go to two races with the best team in pit lane um, with what was kind of my family originally. And I get to get that love of racing back again that myself and my dad always had. Um, because, yeah, I, I definitely I don't take it for granted, but I, I definitely want to try and be in a team where I can, you know, get the best out of myself and also, um, yeah, head to a race weekend with the feeling like we're, we're really in, in strong contention. Pi also rejects that his deal is subject to Shane Van Gisbergen being able to return from NASCAR for the Enduros. Uh, no, I mean, I, I would be uh, still with one of the two drivers. So, yeah, I'd still be, uh, still be co-driving. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. That's a question yeah. need to be asked. But as I said, it's unlikely. But if SVG comes back, you'd think they'd make room for him, wouldn't you? I mean, again, I mean, the SVG one would be a question for the team. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I know what I'm doing next year and that's driving with one of the two drivers in the Enduros. More after this short break. 
Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au all your fuel at the racetrack. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. Ahead of this weekend's Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500, the sounds of silence echo from supercars. Still no confirmation of the 2024 calendar or a Mustang parity aero tweak. With the Newcastle 500 finally ruled out for next year, Supercars is scrambling to organise a season opener at Mount Panorama in league with the Bathurst 12 hour in February. Supercars spokesman Paul Glover is optimistic that next year's calendar will be announced within the coming days. I think we're very, very close there, folks. Um, There's still a couple of things that we need to sort out and we've got meetings around the clock at the moment, but yeah, I think for fans everywhere, we're very close. And by the Gold Coast, we should be in a position, if not straight after. Obviously, the big delay has been the future of the Newcastle 500. Well, that's off for next year. We know that. Is there a plan for a replacement season opener? Yeah, I think there's been a lot that's been widely reported there, folks. And, you know, as I said, there's a lot of discussions going on and a lot of boxes we still need to tick. So officially, uh, we're still, I guess, in a discussion mode with the New South Wales government, who've been very vocal in um, their thoughts to hold the season opener. And we have a great relationship with them. So in the coming days, I think we'll sort everything out. And hopefully for fans, we've got something very exciting to announce, um, either just before or during or just after the Gold Coast 500. So you reckon it's close? I would say we're in a very good position to finalise um, the entire calendar sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours. Um, and then by then, we'll be in a position to announce as soon as possible. But it is a process. And, you know, as we said, with what happened with Newcastle, we need to go through all the right processes to lock in um, a season opener. And uh, we're doing that right now. And, you know, I'm very confident that we'll have an exciting event to start 2024. All the talk recently has been about Newcastle. But what about a return to the Australian Grand Prix? I think so. I think we've had a lot of positive discussions with those guys um, over recent weeks and recent months. And, you know, it is a it is an, an event that we absolutely want to be that. And, you know, we know all our teams love being there. It's great exposure for them and their sponsors. And it is an event that's played an important part in our championship calendar since it became a championship round. So... We've had negotiations with the new CEO and um, the new management team there, and I think we're in a comfortable position, and so are they. And as I said, you know, there's there's plenty of meetings going on, and um, yeah, we should have some exciting news about a lot of uh, different events uh, in coming days. No problem with the Grand Prix in terms of, well, being relegated behind Formula <laughs> Two and even Formula Three. 
I mean, the Formula One and the international program is something that they've been very vocal about wanting to bring to Australia. And, you know, the, the Australian Grand Prix Corporation can answer more about what they want to do with their programs fully. But we're, we're a huge part of that show. Um, so regardless of what one element would look like um, on track, you know, we're a huge part of what they want to see. And we race on, you know, we're on track every single day of the event and it's important to them. So it's important to us to, as I said, for teams to expose their sponsors through that, um, through those channels, through the Formula One show. And um, I think we're in a comfortable position with what that looks like for us going forward. According to Supercars Paul Glover, with the parity review triggered after the Bathurst 1000, Mustang Aero Tweaks are set to happen for the Gold Coast 500. There will, there will be changes to the Ford and, you know, we've been working with both homologation teams throughout the year. Um, I'm making sure that both packages are as good as they can be. And um, I, once that assessment's finished, I think we'll see some some tweaks made for the Ford that, you know, let's see what happens on the Gold Coast. It isn't really an aero track, giving it's a street circuit. Um, but it is, you know, any any gain, I guess, that they can make after that parity trigger was, was pulled um, has to be a good thing. So I would expect a new-looking Ford Mustang in some certain minor tweaks um, before Gold Coast. Longer term, wind tunnel testing in America before next season is the way to end the parity argument. Glover stops short of confirming the wind tunnel tests are going to happen. I think right now the discussions are fully focused on what's going on with the parity trigger being pulled and what's going on on the Gold Coast and Adelaide. Beyond that, we'll absolutely have news, I think, regarding further testing, um, you know, our CEO, Shane Howard's come out and said that, you know, the we know what's going on in Melbourne with the, the dyno testing um, that's being commissioned. So there is a whole bunch in place, I think, to to help both homologation teams really understand these this Gen 3 package because, as we've said many times, this is the biggest change in the history of the sport and it's not an easy one um, and there's obviously been challenges throughout the year. And, you know, we're committed to fixing it for, well, not fixing it, but we're committed to ensuring that both packages and both both teams, both manufacturers and the teams running either a Ford or a Camaro um, are in the best position that they can be prior to every round. From there, we want to make sure the teams have the right tools to do what they can in their own setups. And we've seen some teams have been very good to master the Gen 3 car straight away. You know, Erebus and Brody Kostecki have done an amazing job. Will Brown. Um, Triple Eight, who's always up there, you know, that they're being challenged by another team who's really learned how to master this Gen 3 car quickly. So moving forward, we want to ensure that the teams have the right tools, the right data and the right information to set their cars up properly. And I think, you know, we'll know a lot more about that post-Adelaide. So that's a yes to wind tunnel testing. At this point in time, we're committed to a program that ensures both homologation teams are in the best position for 2024. And details of what that looks like for the postseason, um, they'll come to light very soon. Back after this important message. Speedcafe.com, your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews. All in the palm of your hand. Anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com. First, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. Australia's car racing governing body, Motorsport Australia, 
has appointed a new chief executive officer. His 52-year-old business entrepreneur and amateur racer Sunil Vora taking over next month from Eugene Oroka. In his first major interview, Vora outlined his vision for growing racing in Australia to speak cafe newscast. Well, it's um, well, it's a, it's an exciting job to step into, and it's a, it's a real thrill to be, you know, part of a sport that I've been involved with for many years, and uh, as a, as a participant and as a spectator. So to be in this role is is a real treat, and I think obviously it's early days for me. I haven't even formally started the role, so I've yet to have, you know, all the uh, associated briefings and immersion you'd normally have when you come into into a new role. So my perspective is still very much from from outside the organisation, but in the discussions that I've had and in reviewing the strategic plan that already exists, I think we're on the right pathway in terms of looking to grow and further improve the experience of motorsport for everybody associated with motorsport and to hopefully bring new participants and new people into our broader ecosystem. And I think the plan talks to that quite well as it speaks to growing participation, improving the member experience across all the touch points of motorsport. And then it talks to some of the big plays around developing uh, a dedicated home of motorsport. The intent is for that to be initially in the Western corridor of Melbourne near Avalon Airport. The idea is to be able to move that from feasibility to actually realising that as a dedicated facility that Motorsport Australia can really bring, you know, all of its capabilities to for us to utilise um, as a sport. And then the other big play in the plan is around ongoing and long-term sustainability. And that, I suspect, is across many dimensions. In part, clearly, it's an environmental plan in terms of us understanding our footprint and our contribution to carbon emissions and how effective we can be in trying to abate some of that, but also elements of you know financial um, sustainability, participation sustainability, we live in a you know a competitive environment for people's attention and for um, for commercial uh, partnerships. I think for us to be clear about that, for us to be good at executing on our plans and be able to grow all these elements, I think are going to be a key part of what I'm going to look to understand as I step in and see you know how I can bring some of my experience and some of my background to help us do that well. Bora is acutely aware that diversity and inclusion among the challenges facing motorsport in the near future. You know, clearly it's something I think about um, in terms of um, not just my own experience. Um, you know, clearly I'm a, I'm a second generation migrant. I didn't have a huge amount of exposure to motorsport from my family growing up. It's just something that I just discovered uh, for whatever reasons, perhaps an initial love of, of road cars and automotive. the automotive sector ended up evolving more into competition and um and interest in in motorsports and that happened pretty on pretty early on for me um but i think there's as i said there's a great story for us to tell i think the ability for us to tell it well and tell it succinctly and tell it to more than just the current um stakeholders you know we, we're very good at talking to ourselves i think about how great we are i'd love for us to be able to speak more extensively and as you say in a more accessible way uh, to people currently outside of our sport and then follow that up with the pathways around um, being able to enter the sport through a number of different channels. And I think there's some interesting things that are underway, you know, in that regard globally across motorsports. We see a number of initiatives 
that are underway either from the FIA or through, from individual teams or initiatives from interested people who have the means or the interest to be able to want to create pathways uh, in um, for people who have an interest or that we can generate that interest. And I think that's enormously important for us to think about how we do that effectively. You know, you raise the the um, the question or the, the point around gender diversity, which is a, a key aspect of growth in motorsport. Um, the Girls on Track initiative is, is, a, is, a, is a good step in being able to bring some structure to how we do that. I'm very interested to understand more of that program, how we're implementing it here in Australia, and what I can do to help support us um, you know, putting structures in place that really embed that as a big channel of growth um, for people to come in um, across gender. And as you quite rightly referenced across ethnicity, you know, we have an enormous amount of new um, arrivals into Australia who are seeking to, to put their you know, roots down into the communities. Motorsport is a great community sport. It's a sport that actually is an anchor point um, for grassroots um, you know, community activities. And given that you know, families have so many choices about how they spend their time and what they do for kids' sports and things like that, for us to be front and centre in those conversations and create accessible pathways, I think is an important part of what we do, an important part of what we'll do um, in terms of structures and programs, investment initiatives, these are the, the things that I'm, I'm really interested in, in helping us um, do and do well and execute well. As Motorsport Australia's new boss, Sunil Vora will be reviewing second level racing, looking at how to elevate interest in CCR and the Speed Series. So I think at this stage, Mark, I, I, it's, it's one of the early objectives um, when I formally start and start to immerse myself into the detail inside the walls of the organisation and inside the walls of the sport. These are clearly, um, you know, priority issues for me to be looking at to understand what are the current barriers, what are the issues at play, what are the things that are stopping what otherwise can be, you know, really good, interesting, successful formats from getting wider um, mainstream attention and success. And so I think these are things that I can perhaps better answer once I'm inside the tent, so to speak, rather than outside. But obviously my observations as an outsider currently, you know, observing um, participation numbers, viewer numbers, accessibility of the events, you know, I, uh, as, a, as a spectator, I, I attend Speed Series events. I love going and watching the different categories run. I love watching TCR and Speed Series and TA2 and all these fantastic categories that run at a national level. They're great cars. They're great competitors. There's a lot of talent coming through um, these formats that have a pathway potentially to kick on. And I think this is in part, you know, part of the great boom we're in currently in Australian motorsport is not just in terms of participation, but also in talent in the um, the real quality of drivers coming through and how we can help create those pathways that give them the opportunities to succeed in their category and then step ahead in a structured way. I think it's the sort of thing I'm very interested to understand more of and see are there things that I can help um, uh, either alleviate in terms of pressures or help open up new opportunities so that we can be really successful about bringing these really good categories, these exciting categories when you see them compete live. It's fantastic to, to watch um, how quick, how effective, how much racecraft's involved. You know, I'm really keen to see uh, from inside the tent, you know, what I can do to help. But, you know, clearly early on, it's going to be a priority to get in and under those issues. A dynamic new leader is just what Australia's motor racing needs to build on the strong financial and participation base 
established by Eugene Arocca during his more than decade-long administration. The Formula One USA Grand Prix and a wild-weather Australian MotoGP Phil Farland headlined racing over the weekend. With her roundup of all the action, here's Jackie. In Texas, Formula One raced at the Circuit of Americas, where Max Verstappen marked the 50th win of his F1 career after starting in sixth place. Lewis Hamilton had finished second before being disqualified, along with sixth place Charles Leclerc after the race. Scrutineers found the pair to have had excessive plank wear. It elevated Lando Norris to second and Carlos Sainz to third. But it was a heartbreaking weekend for the Australians. Oscar Piastri had jumped four positions into sixth place after making contact with Esteban Ocon on the opening lap, but he was later forced to retire on lap 11 due to damage to his radiator. And Daniel Ricciardo's return from injury didn't go according to plan. His Alpha Tori lost pace after sustaining front-end damage. He finished 15th. At Phillip Island, where MotoGP drew its biggest crowd in 11 years, it was French rider Johan Zarco who took victory in a nail-biting last lap pass. Francesco Bagnaia finished runner-up. Australian Jack Miller finished 7th after running as high as third in the opening laps. He said he struggled with turns 11 and 12. And in some good news for Aussie race fans, Australian Joel Kelso secured third place in Moto3. But it was a chaotic weekend with organisers forced to move Sunday's feature race for to Saturday due to a forecast of wet and windy conditions. There are now calls to reschedule the Australian MotoGP round from its mid-spring date to a time of year with less extreme weather. In the NASCAR Cup Series, Christopher Bell won the event at Homestead. Ryan Blaney and Tyler Reddick rounded out the podium. This is Jackie Shivey for Speed Cafe. Finally, our condolences to the family and friends of legendary racing administrator Alan Horsley. Racing promoter and race team manager Horsley was an influential figure from the late 1960s to the mid-1990s. He was the toughest of tough bastards, but he got things done. Horsley set the standard for promotion of race meetings at Oran Park outside Sydney in the late 60s and early 70s with innovative formats sponsored by big-name brands. He also famously gave Peter Brock his big start, signing him to star in his Holden-powered Austin A30 sports sedan. Horsley guided Alan Moffat to an Australian Touricar title in the controversial Master RX-7 and dominated the original Bathurst 12-hour in the early 1990s with an Australia-specific RX-7 homologation special. He was hard and uncompromising, and certainly no friend of most journalists. But from promotion to race team organisation, his surly attitude was successful. Most of all, his promotional flair has long been sorely missed. Well, on that sad note, that's it for now. I'll be back late next Monday with the latest breaking news. In the meantime, go to speedcafe.com for everything that's happening in motorsport. And tune in on Thursday to the Speed Cafe podcast, featuring a special guest. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening.
You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 